0: July 8th, 2012, lecture discussion number 73 on the book of Romans. And once again, as a kind of a disclaimer, this is the 73rd consecutive on the book of Romans. If you've missed the first 72, uh, might be a little tough, but I don't think so really today. I think today is going to work out pretty good. Uh, We're going to wade back into the controversies of Acts 2, and I say controversies uh, as a concession that isn't real, because there isn't actually any controversy in Acts 2, and it's as plain as it can be, and yet uh, there seems to be those who will disagree with me, and what do we call them? That's right, we call them wrong. But anyway, we're back into the controversies of Acts 2 and Exodus 20, and and I'm required to do it. Whenever I get to Exodus 20 and I have the law of God followed by the law of the altar followed by the law of the Hebrew servant, I must go to the New Testament where the complement is and the complement is in Acts 2. And so I have to do it. I can't avoid it. And if I were to choose to avoid Acts 2 and its relationship to Exodus 20 and Exodus 21, um, then uh, that would be willing disobedience and I choose to do the job as it's described. If you read the uh, penalty for disobedience for people with my profession, it is pretty solemn. So I do the job as it is, and that's how we get here. So Acts 2, we're coming again. But first, I wanted to read a couple of letters, actually. I have three. First one is from Benjamin. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I am ever always impressed with how, with how clever our Internet audience is. And they are amazing people. And um, so here we go. Benjamin from Chicago. Hello, Pastor Cromson. Things are going great here in Chicago. Well, except for the heat. I'm hot-blooded and a polar bear when it comes to weather preferences. So sometimes I wonder how cool it would be to live in Anchorage. You should have heard Bill's uh, elder... An announcement with regard to the flies and the beetles and the rest of that, uh, uh, Benjamin. But we don't have snakes, either politically or... No, I guess politically we do. I am, I am still catching up to be current with you all. My friend Laura and I are now listening to your May lectures about the rebellious son and the evils of partiality, which, of course, you recognize as Romans 4, right? So we're getting close to caught It's a challenge living in Chicago. The evil flocks to big cities, having parades and celebrating the evil in the streets. Then when the good pours out compassion on the evil, the evil calls the good evil, and the evil is seen as the oppressed good. I think I just contradicted myself. See the first sentence of this paragraph. Sorry. No, not really. Fake sorry. See, see how I've done this to the whole world. Isn't that great? <laughs> Anyway, back to his letter. I would, I would get some diet medicine. Don't we love Benjamin? We just love Benjamin. But that would be playing into the hands of the NYO and their agenda for gray matter and population control since they cannot control the mind though they can alter the information the brain pan transmits. So, on a serious note. Setting seriousness aside, I am still engaged in dialogue with my Jewish friend, Beth, and trying to show her Jesus in the Torah. She's questioning the motives of why traditional Jews reject Jesus, which is good, though she is still keeping her distance from believing it herself. Works-based salvation still has a very strong hold on the Jewish culture. I can be good on my own, no one can do it for me, is commonplace. Please pray for her and myself as we continue our conversation. I was going to keep this letter very short and just say, here's some money, do stuff with it. But I thought that my humor might be taken in the wrong way. But now, I'm remembering to whom I'm writing. (laughs) All would have been good. Give everyone at Cliffside my love, your brother in the Lord, Benjamin. So that's pretty cool, huh? Now, last week I made the comment that uh, we had to go into Acts 2 because of Jennifer for, from Arizona, and because of Ben and Kurt and everyone that does this. That um, sermon is now on the internet somewhere, in many places, and she writes this. Uh, and the headline is, "I got to get it." No questions. Sorry, Cliffside. Just a thank you. In other words, I remember if you remember, I said that we have to blame Jennifer, and we all booed, didn't we? Feel free to boo again. Here's what she writes. Wow, well, Pastor, seven books, seven angels, seven trumpets, seventh seal, and the seventh trumpet brings the flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, the thunderings, I will add there, and a great earthquake and a great hailstorm. Jericho, Zechariah 9, Numbers 10, Matthew 24, 29 through 31, and the sixth seal and much more. Wow! The connections never made before. Yes, lots of exclamation marks. I'm excited. Six now makes sense, plus one. On the seventh day he rests. Just coming to mind now is 1 Corinthians 15, 24, on the seventh day. I always thought the hundred and forty-four thousand will bring the next Acts two, or Joel two twenty-eight thirty-two. Thank you. Lots of smiles from connections and coffee this Sunday morning. So that is what she got out of last week's sermon. Okay? Is she right, by the way? Yes, she is. Just wanted to let you know what the competition is like out there. And then this one from Michael Crook. And I want to say it's the first one I've gotten from Michael Crook. And um, he posted it on Cliffside Community Chapel's Wall. I don't know that Cliffside Community Chapel has a wall or that it is, has postings on it at all. But he says this Hi, Stephen. We are new to listening to your sermons and like them very much. We are trying to catch up on your sermons on Romans. We have got as far as 20 and wondering if there are any PDF or text to help us follow along. We are from Hitchin in England. Reply to this email to comment on this wall post. So, I need a... uh, technical person to uh, write back to Michael about our website and things, because and, it won't be me, as you know. So come up and get that afterwards, and uh, there's uh, apparently a small group in England, and we are very grateful to have you, Michael, and thank you for letting us know you're out there. Okay. To recap somewhat as to where we've been and, uh, and how that has caused us to be at Acts 2, and the need to have a clear biblical-based understanding that incorporates Exodus 20 and Exodus 21. Listen, I'm going to say this a lot because I'm going to pound it in as much as I can. Oh, that pen didn't work. The other one's broken. Acts 2 is the New Testament complement to Exodus 20. You cannot have a view, or you can, but you'll intentionally be wrong. You can't have a view on Acts 2 without knowing about Exodus 21 and 20 and how they fit with Acts 2. If you try to do Acts 2 by itself, and I'll get to that in a minute, problems will abound. Plus, you cannot do uh, Exodus 20 without Acts 2, and now you're going to need Joel 2, and you're going to need Revelation 6 and 7. That's what's required to have a biblically-based position on Acts 2. If you've left any of those out. And this is what happens now in the church. They just go there. They don't even know the rest of them exist. And it makes me furious because I know why they do it. Failing to acknowledge at least the relationship that Exodus 20 has to Acts 2 and the implications that this complementary connection brings is going to result in catastrophic interpretive error. It will. You will be miserably deluded, and it is love to tell you so. And this error that you will have is almost always the exact opposite of what is taught in Acts 2 and Exodus 20. And the contemporary church has, unsurprisingly, cast aside the truth of Exodus 20 and Acts 2 and replaced them with a mismatch of interpretations that cannot be defended and are universally destroyed by even the meekest cynic of scripture. And that's where I get upset. Because even somebody who knows nothing about scripture knows that Exodus 20 and Acts 2 are bookends, if you will. They're two sides to the part, or to the part, or to the whole. Actually, there's more. We'll get to that as this lecture goes along next week. But even the worst, somebody that hates the Bible knows these two go together. Acts two, Exodus 20. So why does the church ignore Exodus 20? How long has it been happening? Not very long. 75 years, maybe. It's very, relatively young heresy. But it's very popular today. Heresy, don't disregard it, it becomes very popular. So the church has gotten rid of Exodus 20, and they focus on Acts 2, and they end up with a horrible, like I said, catastrophic error and a mismatch, and it can't be defended even by somebody that doesn't even know anything about the Bible can destroy it. And it leads me once again to question their motives for doing so. They have to know what's the word I want, how ignorant their position is. They have to know. So why do they do it? And their motives are nothing if not consistent. They do it for the money plain and simple, and the control over their congregations. This is, Acts 2, without Exodus 20, is, is the epitome of dumbed-down scholarship. But you get money, and you get control. Once more, that adage, chase the money, is appropriate. Anyway, let's take another look, another run at Acts 2, see if we can resolve the key issues. But again, make no attempt. Don't move without Exodus 20, Exodus 21, Joel 2, and Revelation 6 and 7. Don't even think about studying Acts 2 without simultaneously doing the rest. You have to have, if you got to, get five, four, five Bibles. Six, one, two, three, four, five, six, six four, five, six. Six Bibles. Put one at Acts 2. One in Exodus 20, one in Exodus 21, one at Joel 2, one in Revelation 6, one in Revelation 7. Now you've got a chance to understand Acts 2. If you think you're going to take it on by yourself on one side and see nothing, it's the blind men grabbing the elephant joke, right? One guy grabs the tail, he thinks he's got a snake. That's exactly what happened to the church in the last 75 years. we got a bunch of people with snakes. Literally. One guy just died from letting a snake bite him a couple weeks ago. Nobody interfered while he was bit to death by a poisonous snake because he didn't know about Exodus 20, he didn't know about Exodus 21, he didn't know about Joel 2, Revelation 6 and 7, and how it fits with Acts 2. It's one He died on the stage in front of his congregation from a poisonous snake bite. Nobody moved to help him. Why not? Why they let him die? Because they thought he was going to beat it. He could be bit, but I don't know what bit him. He could be bit. He could overcome the snake. I, I don't even know what to do about that kind of thinking. But I know where it comes from, and that's why I have to do it. Does it make me popular? Am I going to get warm, fuzzy letters from today? No. So, the law of God, the law of the altar, the law of the Hebrew slave, that is Exodus 20 and 21. And that order is critical. Law of God, law of the altar, law of the Hebrew slave. What that is, is God coming to the nation of Israel with the problem of sin, and then immediately, that's His law, and then immediately providing the provision to that sin. In other words, the way to overcome the penalty So he provides the solution to sin, and then that's the altar, and then he tells you that he is the person who is the solution, or he is the person who is the altar. That is the law of God, the law of the altar, and the law of the Hebrew slave. And what that, when it happens, it happens 50 days exactly to the day that Israel crossed the Red Sea. So they cross the Red Sea, they go 50 days, they get to the mountain, and they get law of altar, law I'm sorry, law of, of God, law of altar, and the law of the Hebrew slave. 50 days exactly. That's what they get, right? And they get what else? What else do they get? Well, okay, I'll give it to you in a second. They get four signs, right? But you must, you must understand that Passover pattern. I'm entombed on unleavened bread. Okay, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We leave Egypt on unleavened bread. First, I have the death of the firstborn. We leave on unleavened bread, travel three days and three nights. Not part of a day, part of another day, part of a third day. We end up with 20 hours or whatever we got. That nonsense. 32 hours. You get three days, seven three nights, 72 hours. Then we go 50 days. We're at Mount Sinai. And we get law of God, law of the altar, law of the Hebrew slave. That is a feast day pattern. You've got to keep it in the forefront of any study of Acts 2. Because the same pattern is at Acts 2, as you know. So you have the death of the firstborn again. Three days, three nights of travel leaving on unleavened bread, crossing the Red Sea on the feast day of firstfruits. First fifty days from first fruits now, God, fifty days from when they crossed, from first fruit, God comes. And it's a physical manifestation. So whenever it's a physical manifestation of God, who is it? Which person of the triune God? It's Christ himself, isn't it? He comes to Sinai. And he gives the law, his law. He gives himself as the provision, and then he is uh, the solution. He's the altar, and then he's the Hebrew slave. And so God came with a, with a trumpet. He came with trumpets, if you will. I think it was one. He came with fire flashes, smoke, and languages. Thunderings means languages. Very important to know that. So he has those four signs: trumpet, fire flashes, smoke, and languages. And all of that is within the symbolism of marriage. Because Israel was going to become the wife of YHVH in symbolism. Okay? You got all that so far? If you haven't been here, that'll be new to you. For the rest, it's just uh, they're being polite, which they must be indulgent. Now, once you've got that, now you can do something. What can you do? You can go to Acts 2 and read Acts 2. You try to read Acts 2 without going through Exodus 20 and 21. And bad things will happen to you. Now you've got all of that and you're on your way to Acts 2, as you should be. Congratulations. I am completely out of pens, if somebody can see one that might be available somewhere. Thank you. So now we're finally at Acts 2. And we notice immediately that the pattern is identical. It's perfectly replayed. Just like Exodus 20. It's identical. Now, I should make you think. You should at least ask why. Because I have Christ dies on Passover. Death of the first barn on Passover. He's entombed on unleavened bread. You've heard me say this. Three days and three nights. He rises on first fruits. And then 50 days later, I have what? I have Acts 2. Just as 50 days later, I had Exodus 20. The pattern is absolutely identical in both places in the Bible. That tells you to try to figure one out without the other is an act of either willful disobedience or insanity. I don't know which, but take your pick. You're in the discussion. So, what happens here at Acts 2? So far, it's identical to Exodus 20. I get the same four signs. I get trumpet. I get fire. I get smoke. And I get languages. Notice how I'm saying languages, not language. The same exact Four signs. Returns. First, Exodus 20 is the first time it goes. Thank you. This is number one. The second time this happens, this is number two, Acts 2. What's the obvious question? Will it happen again the same way? Well, look, we have another place to go. Do you think it's possible it will happen here the same exact way? Well, it's not only possible. We'll get to that as the lecture continues over the next few weeks. So, I want you to ask the question that the devout Jews who assembled on that day asked, because they knew immediately that this was a repeating of Exodus 20. They knew. They're what? They're Jews and they're devout Jews, which means they're scholars. So they knew, we are seeing Exodus 20 replayed in our lifetime. It's the same. And they asked this question. They didn't ask. They asked this incredible question. What could this mean? Which is essentially, why has this happened again? So when you're reading Acts 20, or Acts 2, I'm sorry, trying to get an opinion of what actually happened, you must know that it has happened again. And then the next question is, why is Joel 2 brought up? Why is Joel 2 the explanation for what is happening in Acts 2? Of any verses in the Bible, Joel 2 is the one that is picked. You should ask why. Because it's what? Joel 2 is the third piece of this puzzle. And you have got to know that. You must see it or you will have a catastrophic, foolish, indefensible, junk position on Acts 2. Which is what nowadays? That's the one everybody's got. me mad. I have done this many, many times, and I've done it in some places that were very hostile to me. And I have said this to them, how dare you have this infantile position on Acts 2? How dare you? You can't defend it. You know you can't defend it. Your pastors know they can't defend it. They know why they're doing it. They know it's baloney to be kind. And yet you've got it. And the response I get is what? Absolute dead silence. Never, uh, you could hear people breathing. And I... First thought, good. Now I go, because I know it doesn't matter. We're going to stick, to quote them, with what we got, no matter what. We don't care if it's right. We don't care if it's wrong. We're going to do it. And that was the beginning, that and the evolutionary debate that I've been involved in. That was the beginning of where I realized and Bill will tell you we've had personally a, a brought to us in this church where I looked at a couple of people and said you are telling me the church doesn't I'm sorry the truth doesn't matter and they looked at me and Bill and said you're right truth doesn't matter I want the truth to matter to you guys that's my whole point you cannot, going back, understand what's happening. You cannot have a, a valid opinion. That's strong. You cannot come close to understanding what's happening in Acts 2 unless you know it first happened in Exodus 20 and that Joel 2 is the key to the whole thing. Because why is it quoted? Obviously, Joel 2 is a tribulational passage. How is a tribulational passage the fulfillment Or the answer to what occurs in Acts 2? What's the tribulation have to do with trumpet, fire, smoke, and languages? And then what does it have to do with Exodus 20? Where I trumpet, fire, smoke, and languages. How many times does this happen? How many times is this supposed to happen? I'll tell you how many times it has happened. It's happened twice, twice. Let me put that on the board. It has happened twice. And it has never happened again. In spite of what you may think. Or what somebody around you may think. And it is obvious that it has only happened twice when you begin to understand what it is. See, it happened at the beginning of the nation of Israel. It's Israel's commissioning. that Israel is the theocratic kingdom. And the signs and wonders, the trumpet, the fire, the smoke, and the language accompanied this commissioning. And by the way, how extraordinary were those? That sound was unbelievable. You've never heard that sound. No human being alive has heard that sound. The fire was unbelievable. The smoke and the languages was was astonishing. They have never been repeated. And they must all be together. And there, by the way, is your answer to the why the Joel 22, through 32 question. For those who want to go on while I continue with the sermon. I know a lot of it is a little repetitive if you've heard me before. And most of you have. And much to the consternation of Jennifer's mid friends, God began the church of Christ, the spiritual kingdom. First, he begins the theocratic kingdom right here. Then he begins the spiritual kingdom right here. He did it on the same day. He did it with the same signs. He did it for the same reason, frankly. And much to the mid of the mid-dispensationalists, uh, they have to deal with that. They don't like that. Nation of God... And the bride of Christ are the spiritual nation, I'm sorry, the spiritual kingdom and the theocratic kingdom being Israel, the theocratic, the spiritual being the church. Both come 50 days from first fruits. One is 50 days from crossing the Red Sea, Israel, the other is 50 days from the resurrection of Christ. And they use again, I can't say this enough, the same exact signs, trumpets, smoke, fire languages. Is that a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. There's no coincidence. It's his plan of redemption revealed. And remember, when God reveals something, it's not always the same as when man finally gets around to noticing it. In other words, man may not notice it for a long time after it happened. But you can tell, I hope you can see, that he starts two extraordinary um, entities, if you will. The theocratic kingdom and the spiritual kingdom on the same day. Anyway, same day in the sense, the same feast day. I'm going to tell you the calendar was identical. So the calendar that happened in the exodus of Egypt and the calendar that happened at the crucifixion were the exact same days. Do you think God would have worked that out? Yes, he would have. And I believe he did. That's how you got to start any study of Acts 2. Otherwise, you're going into the ravine, you're going into the muck. Fog, sewage tank, you pick your analogy, but you're going to be in there. But once you have begun on sound footing, Acts 2 falls into place, and the counterfeit teachings that predominate today are easily dealt with. They're dismissed, and you'll see them as counterfeit. They lack the depth. They They lack the connecting, the layering that identifies Scripture as Scripture. First and foremost, what must Scripture do to identify itself as Scripture? What's it got to do? It's got to, it's got to bring forth Jesus Christ. If it doesn't present Christ, if it's not a portrait of Christ or the revelation of Christ, then it's not Scripture. And for many, many years, people thought, Esther, what's Esther? Well, then they finally figured out the incredible typology that's in the book of Esther. It, it is either a portrait of Christ, or it is revealing Christ, or it's not Scripture. If there's a view that says that something that is Christ-less, See, what have I just told you so far? How much Christ have I just told you was in Acts 2? It's the exact same pattern as Exodus 20. It's from his resurrection. He's the one that's the provision. He's the altar. He's the law. He's the uh, Hebrew slave. By the way, these four signs are four parts of a whole. What do you think they teach? Who do you think they teach about? Christ. So any understanding of Acts 2 has to be a presentation of Christ. What's the church doing today with Acts 2? The opposite of that. Why? What a money. Okay, let's reread Acts 2, 5 through 8, and Acts 2, 11 through 12. Really fast. So you can begin to get through this without me. Forever, So that when they knock on your door or give you some nonsense, you'll be able to see through it. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Right off the bat, what do we got? Jews. Devout Jews. From every nation under heaven. So I have a bunch of Jews from all over the place. Why does it say... Every nation under heaven. That's a lot of nations. Because they want, That's your first clue, by the way, it's about Exodus 20. Because what was heard at Exodus 20 and what was heard at Acts 2 are identically the same. He does it twice. And when this sound occurred, what sound was that? When this sound occurred incredible, amazing sound. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together. How many people like I got? I had a multitude. The multitude came to. How big is that? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. How come they came? It tells you why they came. There's a sound. What did it do? It did the same thing at Acts 2 that it did at Exodus 20. It freaked them out. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So I have a tremendous amount of things going on. I have this rushing sound. I have the sound from heaven. I have the filling of the room. I have fire. And then this language starts and people ran to hear all of this stuff going on. And they heard this language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying, how many are there? Thousands upon thousands, and they're all what? Mostly Jews, but what else are they? We'll get to that in a minute. And what are they hearing? What's unique about every one of them? There's, There's thousands of them, and they're from all over the world, the known world at the time. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans, and how is it that we... Hear each of us in our own language in which we were born. How is it that I'm hearing, if you will, Russian, and Lori's hearing Spanish, and Kathy's hearing Norwegian, maybe Swedish, I don't know. But we just go down the list of every single country, and we all hear in our own language, and we know those guys are speaking Galilean Hebrew. Because we know they're Galileans. How can we tell? Because they look like Galileans. So how is it that thousands of people... One, think about that. Does he have a public address system? They heard those languages. How did they hear the language? All of these people from every nation under the world hear the languages. And they all came running. How did they hear them? How many decibels do I need? To get over a crowd that size and bring them all in, they're all coming. Because they're all hearing what? In their own language. And they run there and they find what? Galilean Hebrews. And they find other people just like them that don't speak each other's language and they're all hearing the same thing. And they begin to find people that can speak the same language. And they congregate together in little groups and they say things like, how is this happening? By the way, that is what? Happened at Sinai. How many people heard God come with the angel, angelic host? How many people heard? how big is God? How big is the earth? Can he make sure that everyone on the earth hears him? See, he wants to make sure that you understand that what he has to say, he wants everybody to hear. And he does it twice. He wants you to hear what he said in Exodus. And he wants to hear what he said in Acts. You've got to know that. And then all those are listed, right? Now, go over here to 11. Right? Is that where I want to go? Yeah, I want to go to 11. I want to start here. I have joining the Cyrenians, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. All of these people. So, I have Jews from all over the world. Devout Jews, thousands of them, none of them can communicate with one another because they all speak a different language. And then I also have Romans, Cyrenians, Cretans, Arabs, and Proselytes, and they say the same thing. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, and what do they hear? They hear the wonderful works of God. What are the wonderful works of God? Let me ask it better. Who is the wonderful works of God? Jesus Christ. They hear about Jesus Christ. That's what they hear. So, so far I've given you the template of what has happened and what Acts 2 is. If it's not that, then it's not Acts 2. It's something else. It's up to you to decide what it is. And then they ask that one. So they were all amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what could this mean? What they're saying is, why has it happened again? Why has Exodus 2 been repeated? They don't need a translator. They've got that already handled. They can hear it themselves. What they need is meaning. So what does the Scripture say? Forget about everything somebody might have told you. Just look at the facts. Count it. It's in the Bible. It happened in Jerusalem. By the way, really fast, because people have been asking me this. Jerusalem is Jerusalem, right? Jehovah, Jehovah, I'm gonna, I'll just, Jehovah Jireh, Salam. Jerusalem. Salam means what? Peace. Zion is the replacement in Psalm 137.1. Check me out. Hope I'm right. Zion is a replacement for Jehovah Jireh Salaam. Okay, you sing the song. Jerusalem. Okay? God provides peace is what that means. That's why Abraham named that mountain God provides peace. Zion is, is the word that replaces that. So a Zionist is a what? He's a peaceist. Now you gotta understand why Zion, Bethel, Shiloh. We'll get to that in a couple. But anyway, I'm in Jehovah Jireh Salaam, God providing peace, God providing His peace treaty, right? And I have devout, learned, pilgrimaging Jews that are there. And they're from every nation under heaven. Every nation heard what happened at Acts 2, just like every nation heard what happened at Exodus 20. And the multitude came to the sound and heard his own language. That's critical. Heard his own language. I don't want to keep writing because i run out of time. Now, I want you to back up to 2-4 of Acts. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, languages, as the Spirit gave them. Okay? And people heard that. The Holy Spirit gave the Galilean Jews who speak Galilean Hebrew this utterance. And we have to define that utterance. How did that happen? Because if I'm a Galilean Jew, how many have I got? How many were there? How many were in the audience? How many languages do I have to have, be able to get to? All of them. At the same time. I'm not going to say, okay, all you Spanish people come up, we're going to do Spanish now. Okay, you're gone. Any of the Romans, Italians, right here, we're going to do Italian now. It's simultaneous. Thousands and thousands of people, they all heard in their own language from the Galilee and Hebrews. And there's 12 of them. That's very important. You can argue about that. Some might say 11. But I'm going to hold out for 12. How come? Because I've read Revelation 7. Everybody heard. Every devout Jew, Romans, Arabs, Cretans, and the proselytes all heard in their own language. Compare that to the multitude gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. Who did I have there? I had Jews. Who else did I have? I had all kinds of people that came with them. By the way, who's in the mountains watching this army there, knowing that army's coming to invade them? I had all the other guys, right, from Canaan. I got spies all over the place watching that, don't I? And everybody heard Exodus 20 in their own language. What did you think? He had a teleprompter. Think captions, closed caption? God speaks one language, and guess what happens? Everybody understands it. Everybody. Every single person. He'll do it again when? Tribulation. He's going to speak one language, and who's going to hear everything in their own language? The whole world will. He speaks one language, everybody hears it. What do I think he's going to speak? He tells us. He's going to speak Hebrew. And everybody's going to hear Their own language. That's the miracle of Acts 2. It is not anything else. Sorry. Not really. Not even a little bit sorry. Not even the slightest bit sorry. Exodus 20, people who spoke different languages who came out of Egypt, plus those who were all over the world, all over the world heard what God said in their own language. And they know who said it, by the way. They knew it was God. God says it. Just like the Holy Spirit takes the Galilean Hebrew and converts it into what? As it's going through the air. Into multiple languages, thousands of languages in all likelihood. So the most obvious of the obvious question, what did God say? And I'm telling you, God said at Exodus 20 and Acts 2 the exact same thing. He said it twice. So if you want to repeat this miracle of Acts 2, you better find out what he said. At least you're on the right page now, and you'll know that he said it twice, and you'll say it again. And it's the wonderful works of God, by the way. It's about Jesus Christ. See, God said the same thing. He presented the problem. He presented the the provision or the solution. And he said that he himself would be the altar. He would be the solution to mankind's sin. And as evidence again, Acts Acts 2, 37. Look at this. Now, when they heard the wonderful works of God, they were cut to the heart. So whatever happened at Acts 2 and Exodus 20... It better cut somebody to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And what happened to them? And Peter said to them, repent, be saved. That's the end of Joel 2. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I better see some salvation happening. I better see some cutting to the heart because that's the purpose of this. That's the purpose of those four signs. If you're going to cherry pick out a sign, I better see something that is something like Acts 2. Do I see it? No. I don't see it. Makes me mad. More on that later. But here's the interesting thing. Go back to Acts 2. You'll see, I have the coming of the Holy Spirit. I have the crowd response. And then what do I have next? What's it say? You have a Bible. What's it say? It says, Peter's sermon. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them. So that's how I know. Never mind. I'll I'll save that argument later over how many I got. Because I got Paul in there, don't forget. Is Paul there? We'll get to that later. He's not with the apostles for sure. But is he there? Does he make twelve? We'll get to that later. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. How many are dwelling in Jerusalem right now? That's a huge city, baby. I have a million people there. And what are they doing right now? All million of them. They're hearing Peter. How's that possible? Got a radio system? And not only are they hearing people, uh, hearing Peter right now, they're understanding him, aren't they? How are they doing it? They're hearing Peter in what? Their own language. Same as the others. Not only did they hear the wonderful works of God, but what did they hear next? They heard Peter's explanation of it. And what is his explanation? Joel 2. That's his explanation. In any event, Galilean Jews, speaking Galilean Hebrews to a multitude of devout Jews and Gentiles, boldly proclaim scripture after scripture, connecting portrait of Christ to Christ, another portrait of Christ... Hundreds of portraits of Christ to Christ, and it all comes out. All who hear it, they hear it in their own language, and it is the wonderful work of God. And God is reversing Genesis 11 as only He can. What is Genesis 11? That's where He confused the languages. Now He is unconfusing the languages, and He does it in two places, Acts 2 and Exodus 20. That's what's happening. And He did it, and He's done it twice. And note the emphasis is on the hearing. They hear in their own languages. The wonderful plan of God, the truth of the person that is Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh. This is about God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. This is the second person of the triune Godhead providing himself as the solution to sin. Acts 2, Exodus 20 are all about, both about, Jesus Christ. If it's Christless, then what is it? It's garbage. And the men that hear it and the women that hear it, because it only counts the men, by the way, and so that tells you the women are there and the kids are there, they repent of their unbelief with regard to the person that is Jesus Christ. They repent of their unbelief. And uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to Benjamin in Chicago lately because I've been so busy, but uh, unbelief is a profound evil. It's a profound wickedness. If you don't believe who Christ is, you're wicked. Simple as that. People don't like that either. That's what God says. Is it wicked to call the creator, your creator, your sustainer, the person that makes you and holds you and holds everything about you and holds all of creation, is it wicked to say to his face that you aren't him and you don't exist? Think it through. It's an act of great rebellion. So, Remember again the test. Is the preacher asking you to believe something to be saved? If he is, good. Is he, or is he asking you to do something to be saved? Somebody's asking you to do something to be saved. He's not biblical. You have to be, believe something to be saved. You either believe God or you do something yourself. You either are saved by belief in Jesus Christ is God and sacrificed himself and provided the solution that reconciles us to him again after our sin. You either believe that or you try to save yourself by yourself. There's your choices. And ultimately, you're going to end up here in the same place with Acts 2. Either you're going to have a grace view of Acts 2 or you're going to have a works view of Acts 2. That's how it breaks down. Same thing with Exodus 20. Which one will people pick, the truth of grace or the works-based error? Sadly, everybody seems to be picking the works-based error. And many today are constantly threatened. I had a few come up over the last few weeks to talk to me. They told me very clearly, because I asked them, I said, if you don't do what they tell you to do in the church that you go to, will they declare you unsaved? Now, listen to how I said it. If you don't do what they tell you to do, if you don't do what they tell you to do, will you be unsaved or declared unsaved by them? And the answer is yes. It isn't if you don't believe, it's if you don't do something. And they're threatened, they're told, they're going to lose their salvation, as indefensible as that is, if they are unable to do something, never mind what they believe. And they are told that if one is unable to prove their salvation to the people who are the arbiters of salvation by performing something, then their salvation is as well lost. And this nonsense is declared to be the teaching of Acts 2. It's nowhere even close. How could you do that? Acts 2 is quite clear. Everybody there understood everybody there. The devout Jews, and let me explain that. The devout Jews, the Romans, the Cretans, the Arabs, the Cyrenians, the proselytes understood the Galilean Jews. The Galilean Jews understood the devout Jews, the Romans, the Cretans, the Arabs, the Cyrenians, and the proselytes. The devout Jews, the Romans, the Cretans, the Arabs, the Cyrenians, and the proselytes each understood Peter. Everybody understood Peter. Hearing means understanding. It does not mean translation. What was needed was the explanation of what this meant scripturally and why God is teaching it. Teaching was needed from Peter, not a translation. And Peter stood up and taught Joel 2 because he knew that Acts 2 plus Exodus 20 plus Joel 2 plus Revelation 6 and 7. If I'm going to do Exodus 20, and I'm going to do Acts 2, and I got to do Joel 2. And now I got to go to Revelation 6 and 7. That's the order. They had Exodus 20. Now they had Acts 2. They needed to know about Joel 2, 2, which is why Peter did it, because Peter was led to do it. Okay? And men repented, and they believed in Christ, and they were saved, and that's the point. There's no salvation. What have I got? What's happening today? Where is this happening today? Fifty days from the resurrection, devout Jews pilgrimage, twelve speak. Everybody hears in their own language. They're bombarded, these devout Jews, and all the people there with Scripture. What does that mean? A teacher rises, all hears in their own language. Peter rises. He's a type of Israel, by the way, and I have all kinds of saving. Of all the people, I picked the one that denies him three times and can't get out of the water. Where is this happening today? And i got cameras and iPhones and computers. Where is it happening today? It's not. Where is Exodus 20 happening today? Just as exactly as it did. It's not. Ask why or why not. What is happening today is some kind of intentional, I don't know, I don't know what it is. I'm very suspicious of their motives. I think it's all about money. Do not call what is happening today Acts 2 and Exodus 20. How dare you do that? You don't have this. How many crucifixions of Christ have there been? I got one. How many do I need? I need one. How many beginnings of the spiritual kingdom do I have? I got one. How many theocratic beginnings? I got one. How many times have we had the smoke and the trumpet and the language and the fire? Twice. Will it happen again? Will it be three times? What's going on in Revelation? I got twelve thousand who? Twelve thousand what? Devout who? Devout Jews. And what are they going to do? They're going to go all over the world in the tribulation. And what are they going to say? And talk about who? Jesus Christ. And how to be what? Saved. How to repent in your unbelief as to who he is. And you get saved. i got 12,000 of them. And what is everybody, when a devout Jew shows up, what's everybody going to hear? Because he did not going to need a PA system. What's everybody going to hear? They're going to hear their own language. And they're going to be saved. Because one of the purposes of the tribulation is worldwide revival. So here it goes again. Three times. Ask yourself, who's being glorified today? Pretending they're doing Acts 2. Christ? He even mentioned? What does it all mean? Exodus 20, plus Acts 2, plus Joel 2, 28 through 32, plus Revelation 6 and Revelation 7. What does it all mean? Next week, we will head off to Revelation to find out. Let's rise and be